Faithful God, you caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us, sir, to hear them, mark them, learn them, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and always hold firm to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today, uh, as Dave has shared, we're going to be considering an important question. And that question from Ephesians chapter 4 is, how do churches grow? Uh, I don't know about you, but for much of my Christian life, I've always associated with church growth with church increase in numbers, as if it was a direct correlation. And the only way churches grow is if more people, more people, more people walk through the door. Now, while there is some truth to that, churches do grow as, as more people come. Is that the only way churches grow? I, I, I stand here today as someone full of hope that our church will grow under God, that Christ our refuge would see more people come and we will have church growth. But are my own metrics of church growth correct? Are my methods of ministry misled? Are my ideas of church growth aligned to God's ideas? It's an important question, isn't it? As we look at the the church landscape around, how do churches grow? Uh, It's important to note that if you've been with us in previous weeks, God graciously includes the church in his plan to unite all things in Christ. And the church, as we've seen in Ephesians chapter 3, includes both Jewish people, but also Gentile people from the nations. The church is central to God's plan. How does it grow? The Apostle Paul gives us uh, three encouragements, big encouragements from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 16, as Ron just read out. And we'll consider these three points, and they should appear on the screen behind me. The first point is that the church grows first by maintaining unity. Second, we celebrate diversity. And third, we learn maturity. We maintain unity, we celebrate diversity, and we learn maturity. The first way the church grows is by maintaining unity. Uh, Keep Ephesians chapter 4 open. We'll be spending most of our time in that section of the Bible tonight. And cast in your eyes to chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to which you have been called. To pause here, it's quite direct from Paul, isn't it? He has barely caught a breath in the first three chapters, just telling us all and all and all about what God has done for the Christians, explaining the gospel, unpacking it. And now, in chapters four to six, Paul explains to his readers how they should live in light of people who are possessed by God, for people who are called by God, who have been called. And what a wonderful thing to think about. We have been called. Christians have been called out of the domain of darkness into the glorious kingdom of God. And now Paul urges them to walk in a manner of that wonderful calling. It's important to note it's not to be right with God. Don't walk in this manner to to be reconciled to God. But it's actually because you've already been reconciled to God. Now the apostle urges them to walk in the right way because you have received the gift of salvation that he spoke about in chapter 2, verse 8. Walk in a manner worthy of this gift. 
Uh, one of my favorite Bible commentators, who I think I've referenced in every Ephesians talk this year, so it's his sermon, I've just copied and pasted it, no. Uh, John Stott very helpfully puts, uh, sort of summarizes the book of Ephesians in this way. There's sort of a turning point from chapters 1 to 3 and then 4 to 6. This is what John Stott says. So Paul turns from exposition to exhortation, from what God has done to what we now must do. From doctrine, which is, which is thoughts about God, to duty. From mind-stretching theology to down-to-earth, concrete implications for everyday life. As someone who loves rules and being told what to do, I love the last couple of chapters of the book of Ephesians. I also love the first couple of three chapters, but that's a helpful sort of landscape that we land in tonight. We've now gotten to this part where there's concrete implications for everyday life living. It's important to note, though, as we look sort of outside these walls, outside of the church, one of the criticisms of Christianity is Christianity is a, is a bunch of do not do this and do do this. Christianity is a bunch of rules. It's important to note that we understand that Christianity is not a religion of do's and do don'ts, but it's actually a faith in what God has done. And Christians are now to walk in a manner worthy of all that God has done for them in the gospel. So in verse 3, uh, sorry, sorry, and we see this in verse 2, uh, we continue uh, reading. Paul urges the Christians to walk with, verse 2, all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's our first point there, to maintain unity. And it's important to note that, that we have unity. Paul urges them to maintain it. Christians already have unity. Uh, We already saw last week in in Dave's sermon, uh, he spoke about the unity that we have and the unity that we will have perfected one day, as we heard from the book of Revelation, as Dave talked about last week. But it's important to know, as we we sit here right now, we are, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 1 and 3, united to Christ by faith. We are united to Christ, reconciled to God, and reconciled to one another. Christians all around the world are united. And Paul writes to this church in Ephesus to maintain unity. We are united to Christ. We are united to one another, and we have to maintain our unity. And I think verse 2 gives us some character traits of what maintaining unity looks like. Because if you've been at church for more than a month, I think we can all agree that maintaining unity is sometimes tough. Uh, Church is a place full of sinners, and church life, the steps that we just outlined, means that we are rubbing shoulders with sinners that are saved, whether it be at home groups, Sundays, catching up one-on-one. I'm afraid to tell you that your toes may be stepped on. And guess what? You will step on other people's toes. It is sometimes tough to maintain unity. And I love how how Paul gives us some character traits, things to aspire towards as we look to maintain unity. What are they? Well, we see humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And I want to slow down on a couple of those because they're so, so countercultural. Think with me to humility. Humility, it, it means not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, rather than focusing on your own interests, focusing on, on the people around you and their best interests. 
Now, it's interesting, in the book of Ephesians, when it was written, humility was a virtue that was actually looked down upon. It was unwise, unethical to be exercise humility. I wonder if you see that in the time today. But we are called to exercise humility. Likewise, gentleness, dealing with other people with kindness rather than roughness, with loving compassion rather than a demanding force, with a soft encouragement rather than a bullying voice. Also, to deal with each other with patience, to be long-suffering of one another's faults, to be slow to rebuke them, recognising that we are all a work in process. And as I listed off those three virtues, the humility, gentleness, patience, I can't help but think of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, rec- who epitomised perfectly what it means to show humility as he humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2, to take on the form of a servant. How he described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as gentle and lowly in heart, where you will find rest for your souls. How patient he was with his disciples, seeing their flaws but not giving up on them. And how patient he has been with you and I. Jesus embodied these traits perfectly. At Christ Our Refuge, uh, as Dave has actually shared, we've thought a lot about vision, mission, and who we are. I think Dave mispronounced God's people, but one of our, one of our things is we're gospel people. Uh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> very, very close. I think it's... But, but, hey, both are good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, God, we are gospel people and God's people, uh, which is good news. But we are gospel people. We're looking forward to unpacking what that means, as Dave said, on Tuesday night. But some of the marks of the gospel person, I think, can be recognized in Ephesians chapter 4. And wouldn't it be wonderful if in a year's time, 10 years' time, we look back at this community and saw our identity on show in our humility, gentleness, and patience towards one another. And in response to just how gracious God has been, this would be good for our church as we look to grow, but it actually would be also great for the outsider to look into our church and see that this is a place where you can see people that are humble, feel people's gentleness, and people who are patient with the outsider. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and it's because of this we want to maintain our unity. Uh, and, and, and as we cast our eyes through the, the Ephesians passage that we just read out, verses 1 to 6, looking at the, the passage in front of us, I wonder if you were hit like I was with the amount of times that this idea of unity and oneness kept coming up. Verse 3, if you cast your eyes, you saw there was a unity of spirit. Verse 4, one spirit. Verse 5, one Lord. Verse 6, one God and Father of all. This is, this is God's oneness. And if you are with us last week, Dave unpacked a little bit of what it means to be a trinity, God in trinity, one God, three person. And this is this God's oneness coming through in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, 1 to 6. <clears throat> so point one, we maintain unity, reflecting God's unity in the trinity. Point two, we celebrate diversity. Uh, Uh, sometimes, just thinking about our life and our experience, sometimes diversity scares people. Scared of change, scared of someone who is different to yourself. And I was thinking about diversity this week, and I imagined an orchestra 
Uh, uh, I'm sure you can imagine with me an orchestra, but I imagine 40 trombones in that orchestra. All the same instrument playing at one time. Would anyone go to that concert? No, maybe. It would be interesting. It might sound impressive for a bit. Let's be honest, it would be loud. But after a while, you'd probably be thinking, oh boy, I'd love to hear a violin, a trumpet. Give me anything right now, even Dave on the guitar. Uh, It's important to note that our unity and our, our, our eagerness to maintain unity doesn't mean that we have to be the exact same person, having the same conversations, same interests, same talents. A church like that might be okay for one month, but afterwards not so much. There is actually something beautiful about diversity, and we need to celebrate that diversity. And as we seek to make Christ known in our city, under God, we hope that as more people come through our doors, our diversity will increase. And the diversity in this room right now reflects the diverse gifts that the risen Lord Jesus has given to this church already. And we see this in verses 7 and 8. But, the, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. We've already seen in the book of Ephesians that that salvation is described as a gift in chapter 2, verse 8. And we see here that Christ, the risen Lord Jesus, after he went to the cross to pay for our sins, rose again, the ascended risen Lord Jesus, continues to call people to himself and to give gifts to the church. By way of application, that means that we have received the gift of salvation, but we've also received different gifts. And as Dave has already talked about, a diversity of gifts in such a way to build up the church. We've already seen it in the last six months at Christ Our Refuge, and I hope and trust that we will continue to see it as we exercise our different gifts that the risen Lord Jesus has given to us. I encourage everyone to to spend some time thinking about the gifts that they have received, diverse as they might be. I actually love the fact that there's an other spot in our questionnaire, because there would be gifts in this room that would be very, very good for this church that Dave, maybe the person sitting next to you right now, has no idea that you are good at. We might have 40 trombonists in this room and be able to do that. But we would love to talk to you more about the gifts that you have received for the building up of the church. It's important to see here in verses 11, we can see that some of the gifts in particular are given some airtime. So we'll do the same. If you cast your eyes to verse 11, uh, and I'll just make a brief passing comment on each of them. First, verse 11, he gave the uh, apostles. Uh, important to note that these are the eyewitnesses of Jesus, those who Jesus sent out to go and, and make disciples, to go out and be witnesses of his resurrection. The 12. Uh, there's no apostles in 2023, but the apostles are still gifts to us. Why? Because the apostolic teaching has been written, recorded in the New Testament. The book of Ephesians is written by an apostle. Apostolic teaching. This has been used to to, to build up our church. Second, the prophets. Uh, The prophets are people who are inspired by God to speak God's words to God's people. Uh, We no longer have nor need prophets like we saw in the Old Testament. Uh, In the New Testament, we read that God spoke to the prophets many years, uh, spoke through the prophets 
in many ways, long ago, but now has spoken to us in Jesus. We have the prophet's word written for us in the Bible. What a gift for us. Third, the evangelists. Uh, Dave mentioned it before. Uh, When I get to this one, I always think about the evangelists. Aren't we all involved in evangelism? Yes, we are. We all have a role in making disciples of the nations. But the evangelists, as, as we think about our experience in our Christian life, there's certain people who have been gifted, like Dave, like other people that might come to mind, that are specifically very gifted in evangelism. So we should make room, support those evangelists to exercise that gift that Jesus has given them. And lastly, I'll group these two together, we see shepherds and teachers. I also refer to today as pastors, ministers, shepherds and teachers. I want to slow down on this gift because it's a gift that often gets overlooked, even though it's perhaps one of the most vital gifts in 2023. Uh, church shepherds and teachers are a gift from God. So Dave is a gift to this church. Uh, sadly, over, over the number of years recently, the number of, of ministers are actually retiring, uh, leaving the ministry at a rate that's never been seen before. I think there's a lesson for us. We need to cherish and support the gifts of shepherds and teachers. So I've come up with a challenge for us in 2023, and I've tried to make it comical, but it's very important. Does anyone know Dave's favorite Christmas movie? Not Home Alone. Elf. Amazing. I've got a challenge with the acronym ELF. Elf. You won't forget it. This year, I want us all to try and do one of these three things once a week for Dave. E. Encourage. Check in on him face-to-face or text. How are you? How is the family? And let him know how you are going things that have struck you in the Bible, that would encourage him, big or small. Thank him for his work. E, encourage. What's the next letter? L, good spelling. Uh, Listen. We actively listen to the, the, the word that he teaches, from the word of God that he teaches. Likewise, if he says something is important in our church calendar, as we've heard already today, let's make that important in our own calendar. That will be good for the equipping of the saints. F. So we had E, encourage. L, listen. F, forgive him. Perhaps one of the most important things to do for every minister. Every minister will make mistakes. Every minister will preach a bad sermon. Every minister will say something that you might not 100% agree with. Every minister needs forgiveness. Obviously, if there's a thing that's something significant, a matter, uh, ministers need to be um, called to account and so on, but do you really need to call to account the fact that uh, church morning tea wasn't amazing, Uh, that perhaps singing wasn't great, or so on, so on, the list might continue? Do you really need to hold to account that, uh, yeah, certain things don't, don't go exactly to plan? I don't think so. So let's be quick to hear and slow to speak as the Apostle James commands, and quick to forgive. I think if we all made an effort to do one of these things, encourage, listen, forgive, once a week, our church would be in a better place the next week for it. So how does our church grow? We maintain unity, we celebrate diversity, 
And lastly, we learn maturity. Uh, And good news, I've become an uncle again, which means great, new life, but it also means I get to see little babies again, which I love. Uh, But the thing that I love looking at babies, I don't know if you've noticed this, is that their head is way bigger than their body. Has anyone ever seen that before? Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, Very cute, but they need to grow up, don't they? Their, Their bodies need to grow up to catch their head. Have a look at me. Have a look at no, have a look at me. <laughs> Although I do have a big head. Have a look. Have a look next time when you see a baby. <laughs> the body needs to grow up to match the head. Kids need to grow up. And how do kids grow up? With age, eating foods, sleeping well. How does the body of Christ grow? Well, we see it in the gifts that were given in verse 11. The body of Christ grows to be equipped for ministry and we grow up to meet the measure of our head through the gifts of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are all teaching roles. Teaching is very important because learning maturity is very important. We mature, we grow as we sit under the word of God. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Notice that there are some marks of a mature Christian, someone who knows doctrine. Uh, we've said about it in the previous weeks, doctrine uh, is, is thoughts about God. Doctrine is very, very important. We, we learn the doctrine, we sit under the Bible. And of course, we, we are still to resemble children with regards to our childlike faith to God, but not in a way for doctor, doctrinal instability. John Stott also says, such are immature Christians. They never seem to know their own mind or come to settled convictions. Instead, their opinions tend to be those of their last preacher they heard or the last book they read, and they fall an easy prey to each new theological fad. It's very important, isn't it, to learn doctrine, to be in the Word, to learn from the the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, and so on. Like a newborn baby's body needs to grow, the church The body of Christ needs to grow up into him who is the head. Uh, Notice also a mark of a a, a mature Christian in verse 15. They speak truth in love. I don't know about you, but I've I've been to some churches that fall on either end of the spectrum. There's some churches that focus so much on truth and there's some churches that focus so much on love. And if you, if you get to the either end of the spectrum, they come at a cost to each other. Those that focus too much on truth are, are looking more for a fight than they are to make disciples, perhaps. And those that focus too much on love, well, they have lost central truths like the Trinity or other things. Both ends are unbiblical. Paul calls for both, to hold both together. And that's how we should aspire. As we learn to grow up, to mature, we want to speak what? Truth, doctrine, true doctrine, in love. 
So to close, I want to pause and, and say some thank yous. Thank you all for being a part of this church. I count what we are doing week in, week out, a privilege to be with you. I look back at the last six months or so, and I already thank God for the examples of unity that are on display, the humility that I've seen, the gentleness that I've received, and the patience as well. I thank God for the diversity of the people in this room, different personalities, different skills, different gifts on offer. And I thank God that already we have matured, we have learnt as we sit under the Bible, learning from God's word. And in 2023, as we as a church community seek to to know Christ, love the church, and serve the city, let us remember unity, diversity, maturity. Unity that we are in this together. Tough times might be ahead, but let's maintain our unity. Diversity, that every single person in this room matters. Matters to God, matters to this church. Your skills, your gifts matter. And we would love to talk to you about how you can use those gifts to grow this church and maturity. Let's keep learning from God's word so that we can continue to grow in the knowledge and love of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, that it's written for our learning and that we may live godly and obedient lives. We ask for your help in doing this by your spirit that you may embolden us to live and to maintain unity, to celebrate our diversity in this room, and to learn maturity. We thank you for the one who descended to this earth, who lived a life that we could not live, who died the death that we deserve, who has now risen, calling people to himself, and giving gifts to this church. We thank you for the the, the gifts that we walked through tonight. Help us to to grow up into the fullness of the body as we look forward to the, the Lord's return. In whose name we pray. Amen.